right, so we're going to do a little bit of review of last week. Um, make sure that we're up to speed. Last week's message was called From Persecution to Peace. From Persecution to Peace, Part 1. And that uh, message, what we looked at was the historical account from Joshua chapter number 10, verses 5 through 8. And we looked at it historically what was kind of taking place for them. And then what we did was we did a comparison of what they were going through with the battles that they were facing with the spiritual ones that you and I face in the church age. And what we saw in this account was Joshua and the Israelites responding to the, uh, the call from the Gibeonites. These were their new allies that had, uh, they had made peace with. And what we saw was the fact that these allies, as uh, they had now, uh, Joshua was responding, what was interesting was the fact that all of their previous allies, the people that used to be their buddies in the local community, have now turned against them. And what we saw was the fact that they were all aligned in their aggression. And what we saw was the fact that these Gibeonites now are facing a group of people that want to make war against them. Not because they did anything wrong, but simply because they made peace with God. And this is an issue, right? And what happens is these previous allies now see them no longer as allies. They need to see, now they see them as adversaries. They have one goal in mind, which is to utterly destroy the Gibeonites. And we saw this aggression. What we realized is the fact that, listen, many times we can compare this kind of aggression that they're experiencing for doing nothing more than making peace with God with sometimes what we deal with in relationships that maybe we have in our lives, people that used to be our allies. And what happened to us? Well, we, we came to the Lord. We got converted, they say. And in our conversion, what happens is the people that we used to be allies with now see us as adversaries because guess what? They see our conversion as a betrayal to who they are. And understand, that's not at all what it is. And our desire in our heart has to be for them to know the truth as well. But what we recognize is the fact that as the Gibeonites are dealing with this adversity, what we saw in them was a wonderful way that we're supposed to deal with these same type of attacks in our lives. And what we saw, what did they do? They turned to God and they asked for help. They asked for help. So what happened is they called out because they realized, listen, you know what? We can't handle this on our own. What had happened was the Gibeonites were in their little town or whatever village, whatever, I don't know what it looked like, but anyway, they were in their location and they look out and they see five kingdoms lined up around them to destroy them. That's what they look out and see. And they, they, what do they do? They call out for help. And they do so in humility and they do so in dependence upon God and his people. They cry out for help. And this is what we need to do in our spiritual attacks. We're all going to face it on some level or another. We need to humbly call out to God and what happens to his people as well. And what we saw is the Israelites' response. Joshua and the Israelites responded right away. We saw a faithful response. In Joshua's immediate response to the Gibeonites' call, we see that God literally, this is the way God responds but it's also the way that we should respond. Because there are people in our life sometimes that are broken. They're dealing with adversity. They've got something going on. And you know what? They're carrying the weight of the world on their shoulders. And you know what? They need, if they call out, instead of going, oh, boy. All right, I'll get to that later. Which some of us can do because we go, right, this is going to open a can of worms and I have to get into it and this is going to be uh, yay, yay. No. You know what? When people need something and they really earnestly need help, Sometimes all you need to do is give them a listening ear. We don't have all the answers to everything. Don't believe that you have to be able to go, you know what, I'm going to take out the Bible and show you exactly how to fix this problem. No, what if all you do is just listen to them? You ever somebody just dumps on you and then at the end they're like, thanks for listening. You're like, okay, I didn't do much, but um, you know, I'm here. And so, so many times we need to make ourselves available because what happens if we consider where we are, what we did last week was challenge ourselves to say, listen, do I make myself available? Or am I so consumed with myself that you know what, I don't have ears to hear? 
I've got my own issues to deal with. I don't need to mess with, mess with yours. But what we saw in that faithful response and what God did was God actually gave them assurance of victory because of their faithful response. And it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. What we saw in this story is as Joshua responded and he came forward, what we saw was the fact that, listen, they're trying to help their brothers. They're trying to, to, uh, to reach out to them. And in doing so, what happens? God then gives them assurance saying, listen, and, and the promise that he gives them, which is awesome, he reiterates a promise that he gave before they ever even entered into the promised land. He told them they don't need to be fearful, that there's nothing to fear. And what's happening is God's telling them as well as us, that he rewards faithfulness. God rewards a faithful response from his people. And as we feel compelled to do something, if we'll simply respond, God's saying, hey, listen, I'll be with you. Listen, through his promises, through his presence in our life, through his word, God reassures us. And so we understand that, listen, when we face the adversities of life or we face the adversary in this world that desires to destroy us or bring destruction in our lives, we need not be fearful because we do not do it alone. Amen. We don't go into it with the confidence of going, I can handle this. We go into the confidence saying, he can handle this. Right. I can't handle this, but God can. There's a term, frog, fully relying on God. You ever go to Sweet Frog? That's actually what it's about. Frog, that's what it is. That's why it's a frog. Fully relying on God. And you know what? That's what God intends for us. If we will rely on him, we will be amazed what can be accomplished. So it's with that assurance of victory that now Joshua is moving forward. He's going to the help of the Gibeonites. He's going to defend them as they have cried out, earnestly asking for his help. And as we pick back up in our story, this is going to be in our message, Persecution, from Persecution to Peace, Part 2. Let's pray, and then we'll jump right into it. Thank you, Lord, for today. Thank you for your word. Uh, thank you, Lord, for your spirit, God, that dwells within the hearts of believers. Thank you, Lord, for the, what you've shown us, uh, Lord, and shown me this week. And, Lord, as I've prayed and fervently uh, studied uh, in this word, I do pray, God, that you'd help me, uh, Lord, to communicate what it is that you have pointed me to. Uh, Lord, that you reveal these truths through your word to us, that, God, we might uh, not only be challenged, but Lord, we might be encouraged uh, in your word. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you're doing in this world. Thank you for the lives that you have touched that are in this room. And I do pray for anyone that may be here today that says, I don't even know really who God is. Oh, Lord, would you introduce yourself to them today? Would your loving hand touch their heart and restore them from brokenness? God, we love you. We thank you for all that you do. In Jesus' name, amen. Joshua chapter 10, verses 9 through 11. It says here, And Joshua therefore came unto them suddenly and went up from Gilgal all night. And the Lord discomfited them before Israel and slew them with a great slaughter at Gibeon and chased them along the way that goeth up to Beth Horon and smote them in Azekah and unto Makedah. And it came to pass as they fled from before Israel and were in the going down to Beth Horon that the Lord cast down great stones from heaven upon them in Azekah and they died. They were more which died with hailstones than they whom the children of Israel slew with the sword. And so as Joshua and the Israelites are making their way to Gibeon, what I want to do is to set the stage kind of what's happening here. I know a lot of times, I don't know if you guys are like me, I'm a visual person. I like to kind of sort of visualize what's all going on here. So what's going to happen is I'm going to try to help us to get this underway so we can kind of visualize what's taking place. This isn't Joshua and just a couple of men. Okay, this is not uh, just a, a, a couple of regiments coming with him. This is a massive fighting force. Joshua chapter 10, verse 7 tells us this. It says, So Joshua ascended from Gilgal, he, and notice the wording, and all the people of war with him and all the mighty men of valor. So Joshua's not risking just a portion of his forces. No, he is mobilizing his entire regular army 
as well as his entire special forces. Joshua's response is a complete and total commitment. Now, to give us an idea of how many men this might be, this can be upwards of 600,000 men. How do we know this? If we go to Numbers chapter number 26, and we look when God's going to do a census, and what he does, he goes through that census, and he says, these are the men that we have. It reveals us there's 601,730 men that would be eligible to be soldiers. 601,730. So let's just say it's a chunk of fellas, right? There's a bunch of people showing up. So what we see here is this massive fighting force coming against the Amorites. Now remember, the Amorites are five separate kingdoms and their entire armies gathered together. So we are considering this is a massive, massive conflict. We could be talking about a million people on the ground in this conflict. Now, to give us a perspective, like I said, let's just take something that we're familiar with from history. Okay? There's the, what's called the Battle of Normandy from World War II. We're familiar with the Battle of Normandy. Okay? I've got a couple of images we're going to throw up here. Um, now, this is popularly referred to as D-Day. This, this took place on June 6, 1944. You saw the movie Saving Private Ryan. This is the backdrop for this film. Now, what's interesting, there's about 156,000 Allied troops. 156,000 of all the troops combined. They are confronting a group of German soldiers, which are only 50,000 troops. So we're looking at just a little over 200,000 men in this massive conflict, which instituted or ended up with over close to 10,000 men lost their lives. When I was a young man, I was given the, the gift of go to, to go to France. And I went there and I saw this graveyard. Next image, if you would. Those graves, they're perfectly lined up. And they go on and on and on. And what's amazing was when you stand there and you go and you look at the names they're like 18 years old, 19 years old, 21 years old, and they're just thousands and thousands and thousands of lives lost. That's just 200,000 men facing off. Can you imagine what the scene must have been outside of Gibeon? Hundreds and hundreds of thousands of soldiers in this conflict. So we have a difficult time probably even uh, kind of conceiving or comprehending the size of this conflict. Imagine the Gibeonites looking out at the five armies assembled against them. They see the battlements. Remember, these guys came with the intention to bring war. So they've got their fortifications, they've got their embattlements set in place, and they have come for one purpose, which is to bring absolute destruction. Last week, as we looked at this, man, we recognize the fact, and listen, the, 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 this threat was to them. Look, there was, a, there was destruction on the horizon, and they were calling out for help because they recognized that they were in dire, dire need. And what we see in Joshua and the Israelites is the response, right? They're guided by God to respond to the call, picturing for us an amazing and beautiful thing that we need to understand about our Heavenly Father. is that He loves us. On the good days, He loves us. Guess what? On the bad days, He loves us. And He wants to be there for us. So the first thing we see in this message, the first point is God comes to where his people are. Joshua chapter 9 says this, Now, this is Joshua, therefore, came unto them suddenly and went up from Gilgal all night. Now, did you notice the adjective that's used here? It says that he came up suddenly. Now, this denotes something unexpected, 
right? If I'm drinking a cup of coffee in the morning and you suddenly come in the room, there's a good chance I'm going to be wearing some coffee, right? What it's telling us is, listen, you, they weren't prepared for this. I wasn't prepared for you to come bust into the room. But guess what? They're not prepared. The Amorites are not prepared for these folks to show up. Hundreds of thousands of soldiers. Then we get a little additional detail. It says that they went up from Gilgal all night. Now, if you were to travel all night, at the end of the night, what comes? The dawn, okay? So we see a fighting force arriving at dawn. We have Joshua, who happens to be a picture, a biblical picture of Jesus Christ. The Hebrew translation of Joshua is Jesus is Joshua. And so here, arriving suddenly at the dawn, they're coming to do what? To deliver those people that have made peace with him and bring destruction upon those who have not. Now, when we listen to the prophet, Malachi, speaking of the second coming of the Lord, in Malachi chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, it says this, For behold, the day cometh, that shall burn as an oven, and all that proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble, and the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. There'll be nothing left. Verse 2, But unto you, unto you that fear my name, shall the Son of Righteousness arrive. Notice the spelling of the word Son. It's not S-O-N, it's S-U-N. It's talking about a physical Son, but it's using it as an example of Christ. It's capitalized. The Son of Righteousness arise with healing in His wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. God will make provision for us. Do you notice in Joshua chapter 10, verse number 7, you notice what it says? So Joshua ascended from Gilgal, ascended, rose from Gilgal, and all the people of war with him, and all the men, mighty men of valor. Do you realize that Gilgal just happens to be due east of Gibeon? So rising in the east, Joshua Arise. Malachi 4.2 says the son of righteousness arise with healing in his wings, protecting and providing for those who are his. Listen, while bringing destruction upon those who are not. Verse 3 says this, and ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. Interesting. Maybe God's trying to tell us something. That perhaps on one level, we are recording a historical event that took place with Joshua and the Gibeonites. But prophetically, is it possible God's pointing us to the fact that, listen, this is telling us of the second coming of the Lord pictured in Joshua ascending. And yet on another level, displaying the spiritual deliverance that God provides for those who will cry out to Him. Listen, that's what we're looking at. They're facing off against Enemies that bring to, to bring their destruction. In each instance, God comes to where His people are. And so when we consider what's happening at Gibeon and we recognize the supernatural power of God's Word, is it possible that He's teaching us multiple things on multiple levels simultaneously? But if we just consider this from just the way it affects us personally, just the way it impacts our lives, what does it reveal to us? That not only is God with us in our daily struggles, coming to our aid in our spiritual battles against the enemies that we face. But in the end, in the end, His children are victorious. Yeah. For you see, when we cry out to Him, He comes where we are. If it's in our deepest sorrow, 
if it's in our hottest trial of life, if it's in our greatest failure, all we have to do is cry out. Do you remember the Exodus? In the Exodus, what we see there is amazing. We saw people who were being ruled by a wicked taskmaster who kept them enslaved. And what happened was because of that enslavement, they cried out to, to God. They cried out for deliverance. And in response to their cry for deliverance, God sent a man to set them free. And you know what he did? By way of the blood of a lamb, he delivered them out of their bondage. This is our salvation story pictured in the Exodus. Do you not see that's us? Here's our taskmaster, Satan, who has us in bondage to sin. Because you know what Jesus told us in John 8, 34? Jesus answered and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. We are under the bondage and control of sin. We cannot escape it. The Bible says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And yet... God sent us a deliverer, came by way of us calling out to him to set us free from our bondage of sin. Praise the Lord. And it just happened to be through the sacrificial blood of the Lamb of God. The picture of the Exodus is the picture of our salvation story. God came where we were. Luke chapter 2 shows us the birth of our Savior who came to this earth. He came to where we were to deliver us. To save our wretched souls. Because none of us are worthy. We've all failed God on so many levels. And I can tell you this. If you feel distant from God right now and you're a child of God, it's not because God's left you. He's not going to leave you. You know why? Because He's in you. (laughs) He's in you. 1 Corinthians 3 verse 16 says this, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? So not only is He in you, but He will never leave you. Right? That's the assurance God gives us. He is where we are. Hebrews 13, verses 5 through 6 is this. Let your conversation be without covetousness. Conversation here means your life. Let your life be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. Be be content with your life, for He hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Be content in your relationship with me. Don't look at this world and be covetous of what's out there. Be content with me. Find your value in me. Find your love in me. Notice what he says next. So that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man shall do unto me. And see, because of this biblical fact, we never have to face any enemy, whether it be external or internal, alone. We never have to do it without God's presence without the power of God to deliver us, available to us. There's only one reason why we don't experience deliverance. And it's because we do not turn to the one who can deliver us. It's our unwillingness to turn and humbly depend upon Him. Because we depend upon ourselves. But, if we would cry out to God in humility, in a place of dependence, 
you know what he'll do? He'll defend us. He'll fight battles that we cannot fight. He will deal with things that we can't even remotely understand how to deal with. Joshua chapter 10 is what's pictured in here for us. It's what we see happening. Psalm 34, 4 says this, I sought the Lord and He heard me and delivered me from all my fear. As a child of God with the indwelling Spirit of God within us, can I just tell you this? Man, we never face the challenges of this life or the adversary that is out to hunt us down. We do not face Him alone. Psalm 23, verse 4 says this, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil, no evil, for Thou art with me, Thy rod and Thy staff, they comfort me. So when I'm in the very deepest, darkest part of my life, the valley of death, where I feel as if life is over, I'm ready to be done. God says, listen, you have nothing to even fear in that moment. Because guess what? I'm with you. I am with you. He will never leave us nor forsake us. Guys, we have got a a relationship with God that that is so unbelievably deep. And what happens, so many of us, we live our lives ignoring it. We don't even address it. We don't even lean and depend upon it. We depend upon ourselves. And we wonder why we feel what we feel. And God says, listen, I want to deliver you. Will you call? Will you trust? Would you just reach out? Joshua's immediate arrival in response to the call of the Gibeonites is showing us God's willingness to defend those who've made peace with him. But we also see, first of all, God comes to where people where his people are. Secondly, we see this. God enables his people to be victorious. And the Lord discomfited them before Israel and slew them with a great slaughter at Gibeon and chased them along the way. They goeth up to Bethlehem and smote them with Azekah and Anamachadah. Discomfited means to, uh, to rattle, to, to shake someone's resolve because of fear. So take note, before the Israelites even engage in battle, they're already, their enemies are already being routed out of their location, out of their fortified positions, causing God's got fear and confusion working already. The Amorites are, Amorites are freaked out. Remember, we know kind of the heart of these people. We know how they've responded. We go back to, to, uh, to Joshua chapter 2, and we look at Rahab. She kind of told us the insight of the emotions of these people. It says Joshua 2.11. And as soon as we had heard these things, our hearts did melt. Neither did there remain any more courage in any man. Because of you, for the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. And so as a result of God discomforting the Amorites, what we see here, their resolve to make war just collapses. They're done. Instead of bringing destruction as they came with this great strength, now they are fleeing for their lives. All that's happened, God simply changed them. He has weakened our enemy or their enemy while strengthening His people. There's a pattern here. He weakens the enemy while he strengthens the people. They're doing what they're doing in the power of his might, not their own. And when you and I come to the defense of our brother or sister, and listen, this is a beautiful opportunity. Don't let them slip by. There are people that need us. There are people that literally that are in your life for that purpose. The pain that you've suffered, the road that you've traveled, the things that you've gone through, there's a purpose to them. God doesn't waste pain. So when you look in your story and you go, I hate this part of my story, when God heals you from it, it'll become the greatest tool that you have to heal somebody else. You know? Stories that I've heard in this church, man, of such unbelievable pain. 
and to see what God's done to heal those pains and now to see those very things become instruments of righteousness and love and healing to someone else. Why is the ministry that we have what it is? We deal with tough things. We deal with restoration and pain and brokenness because you know what? We're a bunch of broken people with a bunch of stories that God can use for His glory if we'll allow Him to. If we're not careful, we'll hide that stuff away. We'll focus on our happiness. We won't engage. We won't be there for our brothers and sisters because you know what? We're too consumed with making ourselves content and happy. But when we stand before the Lord one day, And he says, I gave you the story. I let you go through what you went through and I healed you through it. Every bad decision you made, every choice, every sin you fell into, all of that destruction, I brought you through it. And I gave you a story of of, of victory. How did you use it for my glory? I don't. Just kind of bottled it away and said thank you. But what could we have done? How could our pain have helped someone else? How different could we have made someone else's life? And you know what's amazing? God enables us to do things that we would not believe we have the possibility or the options to do. Because you know what? There will be people that will come into your life. And they're going to have something insurmountable in their life. And you'll go, yeah, I I don't know how to deal with this. I I don't know what to say. I, I wouldn't know what to do. But amazingly, suddenly God just brings to your mind just the verse that you needed to share. Or suddenly shows how your story connects with their story. And amazingly, you start to go, wow, I never would have thought that I would have been able to help them. But amazingly, that's, that was the result. And you see, these Israelites, they could have looked at that enemy and been fearful. But you know what? No. They trusted God and they did exactly what He asked them to do. And they go and they defend their brothers. And that's what God intends for us to do. There are weaker brothers. There are people in this room that are going through something right now and they don't have the strength to stand on their own. You know what we do? We come alongside them. We lift them up. We don't judge them. We don't point fingers at them and tell them when they failed. We say, you know what? God's got something for you. And I'll walk with you till you reach it. How beautiful. These are the things that we'll answer to God for. These are the things that He'll say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. That's what we want to hear. So recognize that's what we do as a body. But also individually, if we think about this Old Testament picture, what's it showing us? It's pointing to the types of spiritual battles that you and I face. The enemies that are lined up outside of our village. The ones that are standing waiting to bring destruction, they have one purpose. Whether it be depression, oppression, aggression, or recession, right? In whatever form it may come, you know it has one purpose, which is to stop the work of God from being accomplished in our lives. That is the purpose. Because it can't affect our salvation but it can affect how much we touch the world. And the more our focus is here, the less it is here. We're all guilty of drawing in. And God says, it's not why I brought you to this earth. It wasn't about you. It's never been about you. It's been about reaching the world. You're an instrument for my glory. 
I need to use you to touch someone else's life. So a willingness to put ourselves at risk. Listen, the goal, again, is always to stop the work of God. They want to stop them from advancing into the promised land. That's what we see visualized for us. Guess what the promised land is for you and I? It's a spiritual walk with God where we walk in peace and fellowship with Him. And the devil does not want that because the closer you walk with God, the more of a threat you are to the kingdom and the people that he has control over, that he usurps control over and subjects right now. Listen to what Paul says as he teaches us this about about spiritual warfare in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. He says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Again, don't fight in your strength, fight in my strength. Just what we see with the Israelites. Verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. This isn't a physical battle, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Listen, in society... The reality of the fact of this spiritual warfare for the souls of men and women and boys and girls has never been more evident, more clear, and and easy to see. It's never been more easy to recognize evil in our society than it is today. Go on the internet for five minutes and you'll be disgusted by what you can find. It's unbelievable. And our young people are facing such a wave of negativity and destruction and hopelessness because they're told it can't be God. It's got to be the world. It's got solutions. You need enough followers. You need enough money. You need enough clothes. You need enough cars. It's a lie straight out of hell that empties people. And when they get all those things, they go, it wasn't that. And the hopelessness makes them take their own life. When God says, I didn't create you for any of this stuff. I created you for a love relationship with me that I could use your life. And if people would learn to seek fulfillment in Him, man, they can be restored. But no, no, my gosh, their life can be so full. Why is there a battle against us? Because the devil doesn't want the world to know the truth. The Bible says that he blinds the eyes of those that do not believe. They can't see it. And the world's going to give them all kinds of options. These are all the solutions to the problems of the world. Just pick Any one of these will fix your problem. Once you get this one, you need this one. And once you get those two, you need this one, and this one, and this one, and this one. And it's never enough. You get a million followers, how many do you need? A million and a half, two million, just a few more. And that person could say, it's my goal. I just want to get a million followers. The next morning they wake up and they go, where's that next one? Can I get a million? There's one. Okay. Okay. Now, where's the second one? It's never enough. The world will never fill the void in our hearts. Only the love of God does. And it's that sad reality that we live with. Listen to verse 13. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day. Just so you know, that's today. And having done all to stand. Notice that wording. Having done all to stand. The question we need to ask ourselves, have we done all we can to stand for God? Realistically, have we done all we can? Verse 14, stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel. Above all, taking the shield of faith wherewith ye shall be able to quench, notice, all the fiery darts of the wicked and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And normally this is where people will stop. We go, let's, let's read that portion. Let's, let's, let's wrap it up there. But I want you to see what it goes further. Paul says next, Verse 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. He says we need to pray for God's 
people. Why? Why? Because they must be strengthened for the battle ahead. For the battle is not for them. It's for the souls of the men and women, boys and girls around them. It's for their neighbor, for their co-worker, for their brother, their sister, their, their, their mom, their dad. And then what happens? He points us to the front lines. The next thing he does, he points us to the front lines. What's up, what it's all about? Listen to what he says next. Verse 19, and it gets personal here. And for me, Paul, that utterance may be given unto me that I might speak that I may open my mouth boldly. And what's he opening his mouth boldly to talk about? What is he going to say? To make known the mystery of the gospel. Because guess what? It's a mystery to this world because they don't think it's the option for solution. It's not the solution. The gospel is the very key. It's what this world needs. It's what broken people need to be healed. The love of God. Paul's saying, listen, that's the goal. Why is the armor important? Not to protect you from being in pain. No, it's that God could use your life to reach the world. That's the point. Look at verse 20. For which I am an ambassador in bonds. And therein may I speak boldly as I ought to speak. You see, there's the battlefield. As a believer, that's where our fight is. Everything that's coming into your life that's diverting you from that is a spiritual attack. No matter what way it may come, physically, emotionally, spiritually, whatever it is, if it draws you away from the battlefield of the souls of men, it is demonic. Recognize God has a purpose. This is our battle. This is ours. A battle for the souls of men. And what we're seeing in this battlefield at Gibeon is God's people faithfully standing against the enemy, defending their weaker brother while taking territory for the enemy. And they're doing it by trusting God to bring the victory. And listen, when it comes to you and I, that's exactly what we do. It's the very same thing. Listen to James 4, 7. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil. Notice the wording. And he will flee from you. And when we look at the battlefield at Gibeon, where are the enemies of God as we speak? Fleeing for their lives. Because faithful men, empowered by God, stood against wickedness. This is what can be our story. It's pictured for us in this, but it should be our story. Look at verse 10. The Lord discomfited them before Israel and slew them with the great slaughter at Gibeon and chased them along the way that goeth unto Bethhoron and smote them to Azekah and unto Machedah. And next, God's going to give us the, deal, the, the details about how they were smoted. Notice this. So we've seen him. God's going to come where his people are. God will enable his people to be victorious. And our last point, God fights on behalf of his people. Verse 11. And it came to pass as they fled from before Israel and were in the going down to Beth Horon that the Lord cast down great stones from heaven upon them unto Azekah and they died. And they were more which died with hailstones than they whom the children of Israel slew with the sword. And so to defend the Gibeonites who are not Jews, by the way, who came to God by way of their sin, God literally is raining down boulders from heaven upon his enemies. Now, we have never seen anywhere in Scripture that God's done anything similar or remotely similar to that for anyone but for the Jews. And yet, 
these Gibeonites, these non-Jews who formed a peace treaty with God and his people, now experience the same kind of protection and deliverance that his children do. Wow. Imagine that. The God of the universe loving these unworthy people, making peace treaty with them, loving them, providing for them, and now defending them. So not only is God enabling the Israelites to devastate the Amorites, He brings His own destruction upon them as well. Now, can you imagine the Gibeonites' faces? I want you to picture if you were in that village looking out at the battlefield in front of you. You're seeing your previous enemies, the ones you just got through lying to and deceiving, they've all come and they're risking their lives giving everything on the battlefield. They were your enemies just... Just a very short time ago, now they're risking everything on your behalf. And this God that you heard about, this God of power, this God of might, this God of, of destruction, the one that you feared, that very same God is raining down destruction upon the men that came to destroy you. Wow. Defending. Defending them himself. How awesome is that? Do you see what I see? The God of Jacob, Abraham, and Moses, the God of Israel, who accepted a people who came to him by way of their sin, you and I, and made a provision for them to make peace with him, the cross of Christ. Not only did he provide his people to defend them, the church, but he will defend them himself. Yes. And the same God who is raining down destruction upon these Amorites is sitting on the throne as we speak. Yes. Amen. Ready to defend those who have made peace with him through his son. Yes. Are you facing an insurmountable enemy? In your family, in your career, in your health, in your finances, in your flesh? Is there sin that's so ingrained in your life that it has a hold on you? Do you feel like you carry the weight of the world on your shoulders? Have you allowed yourself to be isolated from God's love? Can I tell you, he stands ready to defend you. Listen to this in Romans 8, verses 31 through 37. I'm almost done. Romans 8, 31 through 37. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died. Yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God who also maketh intercession for us. You know what that means? That means he's defending us against the accusations of our enemy. Amen. Verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. When you see it says, as it is written, he's referencing back to something in the Old Testament. He's talking about Psalm 44:22. And in Psalm 44, 22, you know what it teaches us? It says that God's people will always suffer persecution. God's people will always experience suffering. But through all of that suffering, notice what the next verse says. 
nay, and all these things. We are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Despite all this world will throw at us, be it sadness, betrayal, sickness, or persecution. Listen. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Are we living our lives with that assurance and that hope? Or are we looking out at the battlefield, at the enemies assembled against us, and feeling hopeless? We've got an amazing example here showing us how it is we should be. Listen, God's deliverance, God's power, God's healing are available to us all. And though our our enemies are intimidating, there's no doubt about it. Well, you can look out at them, and boy, it will shake you to your core. What if it's cancer? Man, to your very core. Disease, loss, brokenness, financial ruin, whatever it is. But it all has the same purpose, to stop us from being a witness for the Lord. Stop us from the mission God's given us. I want you to notice this. James 4, 7, we mentioned it before. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Okay? I want you to pay attention. This is not spoken as a potential outcome. This is stated as a fact. Notice. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Okay? So, the variable isn't God. It is not the response of the devil. Right. The variable is us. Right. Will we submit? That's the key. Will we put our faith in, in him? Recognize the fact, listen. Will we submit ourselves to God and resist the devil? Or will we literally rely on ourselves to face the battles ahead? God stands ready to fight our enemies to bring peace to the battlefield that we're in. The question is, will we let him? It's not that we don't have a way out. It's that we don't turn to it. God is the answer. Wherever you are, whatever you're dealing with, God is the answer. If you don't know him, I desperately, desperately desire that you do. 21 years ago, someone asked me a question. They said, if you died today, are you 100% sure you're going to go to heaven? I wasn't raised in church. I never went to church my entire life. At 34 years old, I never sat in a service. I never opened a Bible before me. But that night when they asked me that question, I reevaluated. And I thought, I don't know. I said, I hope so. That's a pretty terrible answer. Right? That's an awful answer. And he said, what if you could know so? And I was like, that sounds good to me. Because I know it wasn't promised tomorrow. None of us are. The Bible says life is but a vapor. It appears for a short time and then it vanishes away. A vapor looks like it's real, but it's not. Tomorrow is just a vapor. So if this is our last day, if this is the last day we get air on this earth, the last day our heart beats and we leave this place, will we be with God or will we be separated from Him? It's not up to God. It's up to us. Because understand, the Bible says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. For by grace he is saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We don't work our way to heaven. We're not religious to get to heaven. We don't do enough good things. There is no good we can do. The Bible says all of our righteousness appears filthy rags before the Lord. 
And yet God loves us in our filth. And he went to that cross and he died for the sins of the world. And what he offers us right now is a gift. The Bible says the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. A gift is free to the one that receives it. But it costs the giver. Can I tell you that it costs Jesus dearly to offer us the gift of salvation? All we have to do is be willing to receive it. It's free. For by faith. For by faith. For by grace you're saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. If you want to receive that gift today, you have that option. I'm giving you an opportunity to pray. There's no ceremony involved. There's no religious aspect to it. There's no magic prayer. It's a broken heart calling out to a God who loves them. And if you want to receive that gift, he's offering it to you as we speak. Let's bow our heads. Like I said, if you're here today and you want to receive the gift that God offers, if you want to receive Christ and have him save your soul, you have that option. I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray. You don't have to pray out loud. You can pray in your heart and mind. God will hear you. But again, it's not the words of the prayer. It's the heart behind it. If you want to receive him, let me tell you, he's ready to receive you. So their heads bowed and eyes closed. If you want to receive Christ, I'm going to ask you to repeat after me in your heart and mind this prayer. Lord, thank you for loving me. Lord, thank you for seeing me in my broken condition. I know that I'm a sinner. And I am so sorry for all that I've done. I understand the penalty that awaits me. And I'm asking you by faith, with my whole heart, to please forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart and save me. God, I'm in the best way I know how, asking you to give me a home in heaven. By faith, I receive you as my Savior, and I will see you in heaven one day. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Head start.